It's Martin Luther King Day, and uh, I've been chewing Rachel out all week. So it feels like the culmination of, of me just getting after Rachel all week and uh, it being Martin Luther King Day. Rachel, you feel, did you feel stressed going on this show? You're like, Man, this guy's been giving me the business all week. Now it's Dr. King Day and I'm getting some extra. You know? No, actually. I had no concerns like that because one of two reasons. Either it's because uh, we've resolved the only like heated conversation we had really, really well. And I think, you know, I felt like we both really understood each other by the end of it. Uh, and also the alternative is that I'm basically just a dog and, you know, I forget that you were mad at me because I have like goldfish brain. That's... I just love you forever anyway and get excited that you exist even if you beat me. Not that you beat me, but you know what I mean. This is actually great because uh, wow. no, I've, first of all, first of all, having goldfish brain is very good for relationships. Let me tell you, because actually here's the thing, Rachel, you don't have goldfish brain because I know you to bear grudges against people. And I also know yeah, you to just... be mad about stuff from years ago. But I think that, That's and true. I also, I also, am, I think we both are the same way. Like either it's nothing or it's everything. Like forever. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's either something I can forgive or something I can't forgive. Right. And yeah. if I am unable to forgive somebody for something, then I can't be their friend, you know? Right. And I try to forgive. You know, I think forgiveness is really, really important. And part of that is, you know, acting like you forgive them, like actually like giving them like love and trust and access again, you know, because otherwise you didn't actually forgive them. You just stopped arguing about it. You know, you gave up. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, like, first of all, anybody that's been in a relationship knows what that's like. <laughs> because, you know, you have the relationship where they scream at you. And like you're still there but like when they come out and they're just smoking a cigarette that's like the, <laughs> when they're not mad anymore like that's the actual end of the relationship um yeah you know, absolutely there's like a stage where we get mad at somebody it's because like you're fucking ruining my investment in you when you do stuff like this even if it's not like a you know a financial investment but just an emotional investment yeah, I mean once once you've reached the point where you're no longer emotionally invested, where it no longer affects you, that's when the relationship is over. Yeah. Because up till then, I mean it can something can only upset you if you still have some investment in it. Which is why I don't always believe people that are very online and say, I'm so done with the Democratic Party because it's clearly like you're still like thinking about this emotional investment yeah. that you have in the party all the time. Well, that is true. Yeah, yeah. That is true. But also, like, it doesn't mean that you don't hate it. Yes. Like, I, I, there is a saying, you know, well, you're thinking about it so much, you must love it. And like, and and you are, if you if you're giving enough energy to hate something, you are generating a parasocial relationship with hatred, right? Yeah. And there are so many people who like performatively hate whatever group of people online. And it's like, dude, you're getting like some likes from that, but you don't like understand that you've made like thinking about that like a huge part of who you are as a person. Yeah. 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 And also, in a lot of cases, it's not even the thing that you're mad at about. Like sometimes people are online and they like have an imaginary, you know, voice of the oppressor in their head that tells them shit. And then they go out on Twitter and dog out like, you know, an imaginary oppressor. 
which, yeah. you know, sometimes yeah. is unavoidable. But also, if you're devoting your entire like persona to that, you've really got to stop yourself. And, and I think the same can be said third party posters who are just like just posting about the Democrats all the time. And it's like, if I go on your feed and I see you're talking about Pelosi a hundred times and like what your what your local Green Party chapter is doing, like maybe once, it's yeah. not good either. Yeah, well, it's, I don't think that necessarily, I'm not trying to say, and I don't think you're accusing me, me personally of this, but I'm certainly not trying to say that everybody who, you know, posts a lot about thing is in love with that thing, but it's something that you right. care, it's something that you care about. Right. Um, yes. And, you know, a, an example that I would make of this would be like something like abolish ice, right, is something that I don't love ice. I also I wouldn't say that I love that abolish ice exists in an existential sense of it would be better if the campaign didn't exist because ice didn't exist. Right. Right. Like, you know, but I care about it. So I'm emotionally invested in talking about things like that. Of yeah. course. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that like people don't always realize that they're doing that sort of thing. And I think that people don't always just value their own time enough in terms of thinking about it as like this limited resource that they should be expending in certain kinds of ways. And that doesn't mean that you have to use every minute wisely. Uh, relaxation is fine. Yeah. yeah. But you get so over optimized at your job. So many of us are like yeah. at jobs where like our piss time is regulated and our talking time is regulated. And so I'm just watching you while you work and my feet hurt. But like yeah. the temptation that when you get home to just lie down and not do shit and get high, especially because you're you physically had your ass kicked. Like I don't think that like you know if you're working retail, like try standing up for that long, man. It's super hard. And a lot of folks are riding the bus like to their retail job and back. So by the time you do that, like, and I know everybody here knows this, but like by the time you get back, your ass is too tired to do anything productive. And when you get that whole day off, like you're just like, man, I'm taking that too. Especially yeah. because think of the amount of work it takes to get anywhere or do anything. Yeah. But I actually think that's good. See, I think the problem a lot of time is there's this American culture that the more full your calendar is, like the more value you have. Mm -hmm. And that a lot of people like when I talk about people spending their time wisely, I think people would be wiser to spend more time relaxing than they do on average yeah. and less time going to all of these like events and clubs and things that you do not actually care that deeply about, but you just do for like purely aesthetic social purposes. Yeah. Well, I think most people are working about 40% more of the time than they should be. It's it's this work addiction that we have because, especially among millennials, who were scheduled like every second of our lives as children and every second we were in college and then, you know, we hit the job market and every single second of our lives has been scheduled the whole time. You know, we don't yeah, know how to not, I don't think. Yeah. Or like if we do, we're like scheduling it in like, okay, six o'clock to eight o'clock Tuesday evening is my me time. You know, I'm going to down an entire bottle of wine and take a bubble bath. And it's like, that's not really enough. Purely you know? regimented me time is just another job. Regimented yeah. me time. Like people yeah. will literally, people will literally turn it into self-torture. I'm not even like trying to be hyperbolic here but they will like oh this is the thing that i do that makes me happy and i will do so much of it that i hate it but i'll keep doing it anyway because i just want to keep on with it or whatever um this is how i take care of me 
um, right. is through these certain things instead of recognizing that like your needs, your personal inside needs change all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it stems from this sort of utilitarian rationalist philosophical foundation. You know, like the rationalist movement was entirely about abandoning emotions and abandoning base animal instincts and engagements. And in practice, that's what it looks like, right? It's people ignoring the pain, ignoring the anguish, and pretending it just isn't there in a sort of mind over matter capacity because back in, you know, the 1700s, 1600s, a bunch of rich white dudes said having feelings was totally cringe. And that's it. Like, that's, it's not a good enough reason, you know? People deserve so much more than what our system is giving them. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, making time for your feelings, treating your feelings as valid, these are all things that, like, people yeah. struggle to do a lot in our society. Are you doing this? Are y'all doing this? Yeah. How are y'all dealing with this year just mentally and emotionally? Do you feel like you give yourselves enough time? Is this time for yourself? No. 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 Okay. Well, so like one of the things we've done as a family is we're switching off custody with the other house in like sort of two week cycles um, where we take turns between one house having primary custody, which is like the weekdays uh, and one house having secondary custody, which is the weekends. And then we swap back and forth for like which family is doing primary and secondary custody. So the way it works out is I do actually get to like build in time to just take a breath and relax. But I know a lot of people also don't have that ability. So I don't know. I, I don't want to make it seem like, oh, haha, it's so easy because like. But like also like and this is part of what we talked about last week, like it's not always easy. Like it's not. First of all, nothing's always easy for anybody in the day world yeah. but like you're dealing with a lot of unique disadvantages like and i think that when people when people talk about you know disability it's sometimes slips people's minds unfortunately yeah. and you know we talk about like hey you don't want like these things to define you yeah. but also yeah. there are many issues for which if you are not like super vocal about the pain you're in like people will just ignore you yeah it's also kind of a weird thing to see people getting injuries i get on a regular basis but for them it's a novelty that's like a whole like there's like some resentment there that i have to be with and i have learned how to be with and how to just sort of accept that like yeah it's natural i might feel resentful right now but also that's not their fault and they are in pain it's a lot of actual like discipline really Discipline yeah. towards positivity, discipline towards forgiveness, discipline towards boundary setting. I think that's really what like self-care as such is about. Kennedy, do you have do you have toxic thoughts? Yeah. What what's 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 your what's your interior? What are the things that you're struggling with interiorly and how are you getting through them? Well, I actually think the thing Rachel just brought up about like sometimes having this animosity towards people when they're like making a big deal out of a temporary condition that you deal with all the time. Uh, like having yeah. Crohn's disease when people make a huge, oh my gosh, I'm having some diarrhea today and it's unbearable. I'm like, that's every week for me, every yeah. week of my life and will yeah. be for my entire life, you know, is stuff like that. And it's hard not to be resentful like rachel said i i do struggle yeah. with that exact same emotion honestly a lot i i also uh, i get resentful about other things you know i'm sometimes resentful about like 
the way uh, certain content creators are treated versus others and especially like yeah, the way my yeah. particular categories of marginalization play into that and feeling like that there are things that are unfair. And it seems weird to say that because I've also experienced an extraordinary amount of success in a lot of ways. And I yeah. feel like I should just shut up and be grateful for that. But, you know, these are the toxic thoughts, right? Like these are the these are the yeah. bad thoughts. Well, and the truth is, like, our reality, uh, and this is not just yours and mine in terms of disability, right? But this is just sort of marginalized people's experience of marginalization across the board. You know, our reality is we have to work harder to get the same results. And yeah. we don't get extra credit for it. In fact, we usually get less credit for it. And right. there is something deeply unfair about that. And I think we all sort of in our process of maturation as people, as comrades, as activists, have learned how to sort of accept that and let go of that resentment and let go of sort of the anger about the unfairness because the truth is it just is we don't get to change it yet and so long as that is the case all we can really do is just radically accept you know that different people have different circumstances we have a certain set of circumstances uh we have a certain amount of power that we can only even begin to change and work on once we accept how little of it we have I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I know that sounds yeah. like maybe kind of doom and gloom, and I don't want to like. No, I don't think it is. I don't think that, that that's no, I, like a. I think it's about like just really being honest with yourself and setting reasonable goals, you know? And if you look unflinchingly at the things that stand in your way and you really acknowledge them and own them, then you can begin to work around them or take them apart or get over them, you know, but not without really understanding what they are in the first place. I'm only going to disagree slightly. I think you've got a, a lot of great points. I will say that for me personally, though, like I'm trying to channel some of that frustration into positive things because I don't think the feeling that I maybe sometimes have deserved a little more credit than I've gotten and that that credit has been denied from me, particularly because of marginalized statuses that make it easier to sort of push people to the side. I don't think that's an entirely unjust frustration right like I think that there could be toxic aspects to like getting into thinking about that kind of stuff too much and you certainly see people on Twitter that are just obsessed with how every single thing that is going wrong in their life is a result of their marginalization or this or that and it's fair to say that the marginalization contributes to all of these problems probably but at the same time like sometimes there are your own like ways that you can try to be responsible to these problems and you know and that you can't externalize every every single problem that you're having and say it's all somebody else's fault. Some yeah. things that are going wrong in your life have to be you and you have to take ownership of that. And to my own end, I try to channel some of that frustration into positive things like creating this media. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I've I definitely know just walking around and being pissed off all the time. I spent most of my teens and 20s just walking around fucking mad all the time. Um, yep. And like, man, I got so mad I almost died. So you either can do that or not. So I, I think that to a certain extent, you like have to make a conscious choice to work on those kind of things. And it's not just don't expect every answer to come from inside yourself. You know, we we spend so much time thinking of read this book and fix your problem or watch this video and fix your problem or do this task and fix your problem. And sometimes like you are not the right person to fix your problems. 
Yeah. Well, and that's just an acceptance thing, you know? Like, that's that's kind of... That is exactly the kind of acceptance I'm getting at. You know, that there are things that are bigger than you that you can't control, right? Like, I can't fix my DNA, and I can't make myself not be in pain. So what do you do, right? Do you rail against your reality, and do you preoccupy yourself with how unfair it is? Or well, we've... It? But it's funny that we're giving this speech because we have clearly chosen rail against... Uh, <laughs> our circumstances no, but I like don't in terms so. of time in terms of time contributed to talking about this would a person that is like and obviously we are on twitter so we can gaze directly into the eyeball of like the hundred most intense people about this and we probably should not compare ourselves to the hundred <laughs> most intense people on twitter yeah and we know the fact that we know like the hundred most intense people in our niche on Twitter, that's like mm -hmm. wild. But to a normal person, would an average and I hate the word normal, but like to a mean average citizen of the state, would we be like easily considered to have devoted our lives to railing against the system? And if so, let's discuss how and why they're wrong. Well, so I think they're two different things, right? I don't think mm -hmm. acceptance and approval are the same thing. That's a great point. Sure. Um, and it's actually fun fact. What I am doing right now is I am pretty much directly quoting dialectical behavioral therapy, uh, which is right. really, really helpful for everyone. Like, honestly, I think dialectical behavioral therapy should just be like a class that everybody takes in like middle school or something because it's the most useful thing ever. But when you accept something, you're not saying, I approve of this situation. You're saying this is, you know, this is, and I either can or cannot change it, right? And if you cannot change it, this is, and I cannot change it now in this moment, right? That doesn't mean you can't continue to build scaffolding to change this thing you don't like, right? Or to try and, you know, undo the system that's producing all of these, like, painful, sick, suffering-oriented outcomes, right? Like, you don't have to say, that's good. You don't have to say, I'm gonna let that happen. What you have to do is you have to learn how to say, but right now it's gonna happen. I can't make that stop this second, you know? It's about choosing to be effective while still honoring those emotions. Well, I think this actually gets to the heart of why I'm a leftist. Because I think that if I accepted that there were problems, but I had to solve all of them, I would probably be more of a capitalist. That's a capitalist mindset. Like, look at, like, Rise and Grind Twitter, or just, you know, Rise and Grinders in your community or whatever. Uh, and what do you see? You see exactly what I just said. Like, those people are absolutely the type of people that say, all of my problems are my problems, and I will fix them, me. Um, as a leftist, part of what I accept is that I need to organize with a lot of other people to fix a lot of the problems that I'm facing. Yeah, and refusing to acknowledge that will absolutely break your brain. Like, it'll well, make you miserable. Well, it's funny that you say that because it leads perfectly into the subject that I wanted to talk about. A couple weeks ago, Rachel, you and I talked and uh, I think both of us were super tired. Long conversation, you were like, I'm gonna talk about how to be an ally. We'll make that like a, a subject of conversation. I said, okay. Yeah. We're talking about boundaries. But when we talk about like our relationship to other people's pain, mm -hmm. are there boundaries? 
where do we draw them? I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Like, so the reason it's called dialectical behavioral therapy is because multiple things can be true at the same time, uh, which is exactly what a dialectic is, right? Is it, it is an approach to problem solving where you recognize that multiple conflicting things can be true and you try to figure out how to join them together in synthesis, right? So we have working in sort of synchrony, rational thought and emotional thought. Uh, and somewhere in the middle, we have the sort of wisdom thing going on, right? When we are dealing with somebody else's, you know, headspace, like we want to be able to suss, okay, where's this person coming from? You know, is this an emotional thing? Is this a rational thing? Is how they're presenting it one of these things? To which extent is it either? You know, and when they are expressing pain, right? It's about understanding every person's pain is ultimately unique to them. Even when you talk about like sort of common experiences of pain, like their version of it is still unique to them. Uh, and this actually ties back into what I was saying earlier. Uh, you know, when somebody gets an injury that I get on a regular basis and I feel resentful, what I remind myself is this is still the worst pain this person has ever felt. This is still the first time this person has ever had to deal with this kind of pain. Uh, and I very intentionally make myself open to and sympathetic to their pain uh, through what is called opposite action. Uh, so that instead of being resentful, I reach out and compassion, right? And that's sort of the opposite. Uh, and those actions of compassion, of sort of making space for other people's pain are absolutely essential. And when you are an ally, if you are trying to be an ally, it's still the same basic process, right? You're still yeah. understanding this person's experience is unique to them. Their experiences are real. They can be relied upon to accurately communicate, you know, what they're going through, what they're feeling. They are in their own sort of process about these things that they're struggling with. And that can come out a lot of ways, right? And understanding, you know, that this person's behavior is informed by this pain can make it a lot easier to, I think, accept, you know, that you don't understand it or that you don't know it. It's so, it's super hard, you know, to, to get through to somebody when you are interacting with them in like a really narrow sense of your life. You know, the narrower your interactions are with somebody, like the more likely it is for you to come into conflict. You know, if you are running into somebody that's at school and you know that person is just like a student that's getting in your way, like you barely know that person. So it's easy to have conflict with them. Uh, if somebody's like at the gas station and they're yelling too loud, being an asshole, like it's easy to go in there and yell at that person. But it's also, it's harder to, to listen to that person because why the fuck are you listening to like a random person at a gas station? The more you know somebody, the more that you can understand the wrinkles in this person's behavior that leads them to behave away. And listen, I, I think that unfortunately, how much do we owe like to every single person? to have a four hour conversation about where they're coming from. Cause that's a lot, like even to get to know somebody well enough to mediate with them on this super deep, super soulful community care level. It's a huge yeah. investment of time. And when you talk about like community policing, even in that model, you've got somebody who's literal, their entire life is just relationship building. Is it fair to ask people in your you know, society to commit that much to relationships? Cause I mean, we're committing a lot to relationships and it's great in some ways, but we should probably also like remember that as we talk about the commitment to relationships and how in, in, in empowering that can be, that organizers are like only a very small percentage of like the population. Like not everybody yes. wants to do this shit. And also not everybody can, this shit really sucks. Yeah. 
And everybody who is like working as a community organizer, even on like a low level, it's like two kids away from not being able to even feasibly do that anymore. Yeah. yeah. Like how many people do you guys know that are doing this kind of work and have like, I can think of like a couple. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard work to do and it takes a lot yeah. of time. Uh, and when time is already scarce, it is all the harder to do the work. Yeah. Two responses. The first one is, you know, I don't think you necessarily need to have a deep, long conversation with a person to empathize, you know, or to, you know, sort of recognize, even if it's just in the abstract, okay, I don't know what it is, but this person is carrying pain, you know, and letting that inform your decisions. I think you can do sort of for everybody. Uh, and yes, it is emotionally taxing. I would draw that back to what I was saying earlier about setting boundaries being self-care. You know, if you know you are not in the headspace where you can be patient with somebody, then you shouldn't be there. Like, and you can say no, you can say, hey, look, I'm just not in the right headspace tonight. I'm sorry, I need to leave. That's allowed. And in fact, it's a healthy and good thing to do. Um, and the last one was just agreeing with you. Yeah, like organizers are a very small section of the population. And I think it is a very specific set of social skills. And I think, you know, when you have those skills, it's incumbent upon you to try and use them for good because everyone uses them if they have them it's just being charming it's inherently advantageous right so you have to make sure that you're applying it to things that are you know at least decent think of all the organizers we know that are not at all charming it's not super <laughs> many but there are some they're just they're just there also yeah, yeah you can just yeah. show up show up to, just show up to things people love when you're at things and, you know, honestly, I don't know that I would say those people are necessarily properly organizing. Not to say that every single organizer needs to be, you know, a Casanova or whatever. I just think if you are actively toxic, right? Uh, if you are one of those people who is showing up just because you want to get your pound of flesh, you're not actually organizing, you're holding organizing back. Okay, you're just, you're just being nice about it and I get that, but I'll call it out even a little more directly. One of the skills of organizing is fucking people skills. Like, holy shit, how many organizers I've met now that never thought it was worth their time to do something like team building training or like uh, mediation training or anything that would teach them how to like make a group more cohesive or keep people from fighting or things like that. These are necessary skills. I don't know yeah. where along the way people got it in their head that they aren't, because if you look to all of the great organizers of the past, they knew how to fucking have a conversation. and. I uh, more than that, they knew how to look at two people who were arguing and like calm them down or things yes. like that. Like these are the people that you want to emulate, but you refuse to like, I'm not saying a lot of people are like this, but there are people out there that just refuse to even engage with the idea that they should have to have a, be able to have a remotely normal conversation with another human in order to do anything. And like, unfortunately, like so many people on Twitter are on Twitter because they're not having conversations with people anywhere else. Like yeah. that's good. Like we literally just got off the screen. We're talking about how that's great. Mm -hmm. And it's great if you're like neuroatypical. Some people are just mad all the time and people don't want to hang out with them. Yeah. And like if you're right wing and you're mad all the time, like Facebook is literally the place for you. Like they built that thing from the ground up to just make you happy all day. Well, to make you mad all day, but like in a hedonic sense. Yeah. And I get being mad and being a leftist because the things that tend to make you leftist are things that are 
upsetting. Most people come to the left because of things that are awful, because they they saw terrible things happen to people around them and things like that. You know, they saw people struggle under poverty unfairly and die and things of that nature. That's the kind of shit that drives people to the left. So I get being upset, but try to keep that shit contained to the appropriate spaces. Um, I have my own Discord groups where we vent about how fucking bad the news is and then I don't project that onto the entire rest of the world all day. Uh, because I know that if I just put that on other people on Twitter, then I'm just gonna be toxic and shitty to people that I don't, I realistically agree with and would like to organize with. And I don't want to do that. Because realistically, here's the thing. Brandon, you're asking how much do we need to do to like get everybody on board, kind of, was like sort of the, a lot of the crux of what you were asking earlier. And how much do, do we have to feel responsible Here's what I would say. Um, around 10% of America is already ready to go on some kind of leftism. If all of that 10% of America really went out there and just spoke to like eight or nine people, you don't have to convince every stranger. You don't have to get to know everybody's story. But like change the people's minds that you know if you can. If everybody yeah. did that, that would be enough to turn the tide in a lot of senses. Um, it doesn't necessarily take you being willing, in my opinion, it doesn't necessarily take you being willing to just stop and fall down at the altar of every single person's new problems. Yeah. We're a comedy show and nothing going on right now is funny. That's Are a we a comedy just show? We're a comedy show. We're like a spirituality show sometimes too. And this is clearly spirituality we're doing. People love this shit. It's good. It's important. <laughs> you know, it's the kind of stuff that nobody else talks about, but it matters. People need deprogramming when it comes to honoring their emotional states. Hang on. I just want to ask this existential question. I guess we're doing it on air. Fuck it. Are we a comedy show? I really wonder about this. Yes. We're certainly not a new show. I get that. I get that. <laughs> well, you know, honestly, okay, here's what I think we are. Because, and I know this because there is on Reddit a master list of like every single podcast and show that is leftist. And I found the list entirely by accident and then went, huh, I wonder if we're on it. And sure enough, we were, which is cool. That's an entire hey. novelty unto itself. And we're listed as interviews. So that's what we are. We're an interviews show. Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we, I guess we are an interviews show. We don't have to only be an interviews show, but I mean, that makes sense. It's like 50% of what we produce. We use interviews as like a promotional strategy to like, you know, meet people. Yeah. And by the way, it's great. We just haven't gone upwards on the like, we're not, we just want to have a good show, I think. We haven't really spent a lot of time inviting new people because like we've met so many cool people over the last year that like, mm -hmm. it's like man, we haven't hung out with so-and-so in a long time. Suddenly you've got like 50 interviews of people you've hung out with and you think that like 45 of them are super cool. And so like, when was the last time we talked to Sean Yacht? We should get right. Sean Yacht back on. Right. So. Right. Um, no, I hear. I think that, I think that thought that you just said, I think that literally once a week at least. Yeah. And and like just the nature I want to get of, Janos back. but just the nature of like the stuff that we're doing, we're getting in right. so much input from like it's like we're just looking down a million fucking doorways. 
we're in this this house with a million doors and you can like walk through a doorway and you can crane your neck back to look at one of them but you can't really stay anywhere you're going which not that not necessarily that you want to jump through the fucking mirror like mario and live in vermin supreme's world or anything but you know god i loved the vermin interview so much <laughs> So yeah, good. I know that's why I mentioned them. So good. That it, unironically, it sincerely was a paradigm shifting interview for me. Like it changed the way I thought about the work I do in the community and how I approach it. Because I realized, like, oh, actually, serious is alienating and stuffy. Stop being serious. Be silly. Like, make it silly. Make it play. Make it fun. And that's disarming. And it also gets people to want to keep doing it. Your big evolution as a human being is going to be when you stop saying stuff like this and just think it because then you'll be on the super. I guess it's too. It's like it's like getting the, the infinity gauntlet like it's too much. <laughs> it'll, it'll, it'll spook people out like if you ever I think that you sometimes feel like if you ever stop saying it like you'll be too good at it. Yeah, I just want to say on a philosophical level, I think it makes sense that we are kind of a quote unquote interview show because we're interviewing each other right now in a weird round robin kind of way yeah first of all we've always based it on the idea of like round table discussion type stuff so even when we don't have a guest it kind of feels like we have a guest a lot of the time because it's still that kind of vibe but then second of all on an even deeper level yes there's all of these uh, like more surface level kind of clout based reasons why like interviews have worked out for us and whatever but also like one of our goals was to you know use this media platform in some way that was effective and as we started to realize that like actually this show really is maybe going to go somewhere it became even more imperative in a lot of ways i think to all of us to make sure that we were using it ethically and responsibly yeah um and i think to all of us that means not just platforming ourselves a hundred percent of the time <laughs> like bring some other people on be the town hall show where like and we're really open about the fact that pretty much anyone can reach out to us with an episode idea and we try to make a lot of them and it doesn't matter if you are well known. If your idea is decent and we like the sounds of you, we just give you a shot. And sometimes yeah. it comes out a little awkward and we move on and maybe we don't have those people back a lot. And anybody who really follows the show can probably guess what kinds of guests I'm talking about to some extent. They're not sure. terrible people, but you know, they're maybe not the most exciting or whatever. But like we take those chances anyway, even when we know that probably this guest is going to be a little boring because we want to give these people a chance to speak for a reason in general and i think that that's all important to like whatever the fuck this is that we're trying to do here <laughs> i always just feel like we're falling behind and it's not necessarily true but you know we have these blocks of time and the more professional shows are always having like the guests on tour that come by the show and we have to do all that shit ourselves and it's super tiring and um even in best case scenario you get help with that at like year four you're five like we've all seen like even the shows that do well they have a long ass period like of like this and it sucks because we're all like There's doing this grind. yeah we're doing all of this stuff and we're doing our own promo and we're doing our own booking like only the only fans girls understand how hard this work truly is uh, <laughs> yeah there are there are there are true leaders 
That's probably why we have so many of them on the show. Yeah. <laughs> Just ask them for business business advice. Literally, if you listen to uh, 5 to 9, it's literally just a business advice show. Yeah. If you ever yeah. listen to 5 to 9, which is one of our sister shows, it's literally just a show where they talk about. And if you're a business person, you're like, oh, this is the tripwire offer. This is the first OTO. This is the monthly recurring. Like, it's literally just like regular internet stuff, except with Coochie. Yeah, if you looked at that and you thought, oh, I'm not a sex worker, or I'm not really into sex worker politics, I don't know if this show is for me. Yeah. Uh, actually, if you're just into business at all. Yeah. <laughs> if, 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 all if you, if you uh, want to learn about money, if you just want to learn how to be just cool as a person, you know, I feel yeah. like we, the, you know what our big fucking problem is just as a show? We do everything that people say that they want. I know we we put that in our, that in fact, our lie, our, bio line's been taken over by resentment a little bit we do everything <laughs> they say they want we do all of it where's our clout where is it we got to do it for five years nobody's listen you're gonna people are gonna listen back to this stuff and be like yeah that was those were the days um <laughs> don't know if we can be like this raw to the streets forever man like can you imagine like if the young turks five years ago and it was just like shank was just like literally doing events and shit and doing like community panels and stuff and also bush suck balls oh. I mean, I hope that we can be a little more street fight than the Young Turks in the long run. Yeah, I agree. They're such good guys, first of all. Yeah, and if I could think of any show where they have just kept it pretty much the same as day one to day now, you know, sure, have they cleaned up certain aspects a little bit to make it a better product? Yeah, but have they sacrificed their integrity? Not really, no. They're all all about their shit and they do what they want. Street Fight was the first show to really boost us, too. Incredible people. Yeah, yeah, like we had like, I remember talking to Brian and he was like, come back when you have 10 episodes. And I was like, okay, I will. And then I came back with Wonks and we had, you know, like 50 episodes or whatever. And he was like, all right, right. and he came on the show. <laughs> like, it's time. That's a good example of both how to set a boundary because if you don't make it to 10 episodes, which a lot of pods don't, you're not really going to do it. But if you make it to 10, you're probably going to keep doing it. So no wasting time like on pods, but also showing up anyway for the small pod because we were real small at that point way smaller than we are now but also like both of us i i often give rachel exclusive credit for this because i like to like make people feel nice pump people up but like literally both of us have had way over our head gets like pretty regularly yeah well i mean we're cool people we're i mean it is is literally true it is true it helps but also even if you're not cool just uh, people like literally just engage with what someone you like is doing. And maybe like you can't always reply guy like the 10 biggest people that you like in your niche or whatever. Yeah. But like that, th- there are plenty of people locally who you can just give a couple likes to and you can literally just hang out with them. Yeah. Yeah. I never want to feel like I'm too big for somebody, you know? People literally just feel that way about us now. It's so weird. It's I went so on, weird. I went on a really small podcast about a week ago. It is Hard Truth Pod. And it was funny because I realized at a certain point that this person was mildly starstruck that I had agreed to do the show and that I was, you know, gonna like actually like that we were gonna record this and that I was like a big guest in a lot of ways for the size of this show and all these things. And it's super surreal because it was not long ago at all that the shoe was on the other foot and I felt the other way about literally every guest. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. But I think that's good. It feels good to have the clout and, and come in there and people are hyped to talk to you. Yeah. I had somebody tell me they were starstruck recently. It was yeah. wild. My actual response verbatim was, what a novelty for me. <laughs> that's, that's also literally has happened to me multiple times. Mm-hmm. Wild. Um, people being shy around me is super wild. Who are like, I'm the guy from the show. Hey, on the subject of getting more professional, I'm going to yeah. promote that that episode of Hard Truth is coming out on February 1st. And also, Lena's going to stop by on our Monday stream, which is February 1st. And, I love that. And who is the host of that show. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of the stuff that we talked about on there. So, uh, yeah, look at that. Doing promo, combining release with a guest feature. This is like the second time I've done this recently. Yeah. I feel like I'm on fire right now. This is like a combo. (laughs) The thing that Street Fight knows and we try to emulate uh, is there's actually room enough for all of us. Yes. Like there actually is room enough for all of us. And we all benefit by boosting each other. The kind of person that would do this, even just like consistently, and even in a perfect world, but especially in this shitty world, is a low number. Like nobody's going to fill your lane. Uh, And if you are a person that's, you're on Twitter all the time, and everybody is an asshole about podcasts, because it's something funny to make fun of. But like, if you want to do it, listen, they're literally like, we joke about there not being room all the time. But no, there literally is room for you to do a left-wing podcast. And listen, what I would say is, number one, because we do literally a show about podcasts, just write down what you want to, what you kind of things you want to talk about and do and get with your friends and be like, hey, do you want to talk about this kind of stuff too? And if you do that, then you probably will have like the kind of fun that you have with your friends, but it'll have like some direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's not, it's nothing that's like above you to do. We talk about this all the time. We did it with like no money. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I will absolutely agree and just uh, iterate on what Brandon said to say that, you know, left-wing content, left-wing media is one of the fastest growing things that people are consuming more and more of all the time. And it can be a little hard to monetize. I will not deny that because it's, uh, you know, by definition, non-capitalist and let me tell you uh so you can't just do all the like i mean like if you're just making a podcast about like what kind of shoes you like or whatever it's really easy to monetize something like that because you know you could just put out whatever products and you don't have to worry about like being attacked over the ethics of your brand or whatever you have to think so much about ethics if you're willing to spend, listen, it's not that bad. If you're willing to spend a little time thinking about ethics before you make your financial decisions, that's all it really takes. And beyond that, like this is one of the fastest growing mediums. If people want to get into it, they absolutely should because this is the time, like right now, it's more important than ever that we keep building platforms. Yeah. Actually, damn, you know, you know what? Maybe I'm wrong because maybe this isn't the best time to get into leftist podcasting because there's nothing good to talk about. There's not like, you got to go out and work <laughs> with like, like our friends, nonviolence news, Rivera's son. She does really awesome stuff. Like she just combs every activist organization and press releases, just looking for victories in the community and uh nonviolence news does just a great job putting that together. But maybe you should be talking about gardening or something. 
let me tell you the really yeah this is the really the synthesis slash hard truth is that leftist media is a great thing to get into don't talk about the fucking news we're trying to figure out how to do less of that ourselves all the time in fact i'm so grateful now to learn that we were in the interviews category <laughs> and yeah. not news yeah honestly yeah i mean we've had we've had conversations with friends and acquaintances do news just do news every day and be a news show and you'll get big that that way because people need like and it's true we probably could get big that way but first of all that's super expensive and it's super time consuming because remember everything that you're seeing and hearing like we are putting the shit together ourselves so do news means you've got to do chirons you've got to do hours of research and prep like this is just brutal brutal yeah. fucking amounts of fucking work to make a new show and yeah you can't blame anybody for not wanting to do that shit because it sucks and news is a super political act like yeah. if we were to even take that semi-seriously like not even like we're real journalists but wow, we have a responsibility to present to people what we care about like i think we'd fucking argue over what got on like we've only got like if we're are we gonna are we gonna commit to doing like a hard hour uh and maybe you know it's a, it's a stream and we can just talk about as much as we want for as long as we've got time but if we're really trying to be like programming are we really on for one hour and this is what we're going to talk about we've got this many segments and it's run like a machine i don't know maybe not fun to do yeah whereas you know with this we can get on and play jackbox and uh entertain ourselves that way so basically yeah. i like what we're doing here i like what we're doing yeah uh there's more to do like i do want to do more interviews i do want to like it's funny that we say we're interview show but i like <laughs> i do like meeting people and i want to i want to meet freaking tiffany caban as her you know campaign and shit's rolling up want to meet tiffany caban yeah so yeah there's so many cool people in america yeah, and a big part of why we want to do all the interviews is because actually we really are organizing. Yeah, and we also want like want to learn what they're doing. Yeah, so that we can do the shit they're doing. Yeah, we learn stuff from our interviews all the time. Yeah, that's like why we do them. It's because we're trying to like increase our capacity to organize like nationally. My my number yeah. one like piece of advice for everybody is uh think of what you want to learn and start a podcast about that. Anything yeah. you want to learn or be good at or talk to or, you know, have experiences with, start a podcast about it and then talk about it for a couple of episodes. We saw, we did a couple episodes of uh, guys, lots of guys that was just guys talking about their hobbies. And it was so charming and such a relief from our toxic Twitter world. People yeah. just being passionate about what they care about. I, I love it. Yeah. yeah. But also, yeah. also, once this presidential <laughs> turnover, I'm sure there will be lots to talk about. We're in a weird period right now. Yes. We're in the lame duck period of our podcast. <laughs> oh, I That's didn't think we were going to have a good title, but there we go. Yeah, I All tried right. a couple times. That was a nice one. Thank you, Rachel. Well, now that we finally have a title for the episode, I'll go ahead and wrap us up cleanly thanks everybody so much for listening we appreciate you uh all the people out there especially those of you who have been listening for a long time my gosh y'all really doing it we're gonna keep making thank the you. show thank you. better let's make let's make this clear the show as you've seen the show keep getting better we're gonna continue making the show better we'll never be satisfied yes. every day more and more roof 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 because we're learning it and we're doing it. It's great. We are Not Safe for Wonks at NSF Wonks on Twitter, youtube.com slash not safe media. If you're not watching the YouTube shows, you're really missing out on like half of the content or more. Uh, so uh, you got to head over there and uh, patreon.com slash not safe. If you want to support 100% independent media, you know, it's kind of like we're trying to be like PBS before all the oil.
oil money. And so uh, that works only through viewers like you uh, heading over there, patreon.com slash not safe and chipping in a few bucks. Every little bit helps. Uh, and we really mean that. Like it helps us pay for important things. So thank you so much to all of our patrons. Thank you so much to all of our listeners. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.